traditions. And I, I got to hear from some of you as I walked around about you already are, have done the Easter egg hunts this morning with your family, with your kids. It's awesome. We did some of that yesterday with my wife's family out in the country. They, their family have some great traditions. And like the best traditions, they are a mix of, of things that were made long ago and then stuff that we're just sort of making up as we go along, like all the tradition stuff. Um, so we've got in our family the traditional Easter pinata, like you do. Um, just so much love and life in that. Um, we do the traditional Easter egg decorating and hunt thing. It's really, it's really sweet. We do it with real hard-boiled eggs, which are a little bit less fun to open for you. So you got to come up with something else. And so we made the traditional Easter egg catapult uh, to send them flying. What you don't see is my wife at the other end of the yard with a baseball bat catching, catching the eggs as they come through. Oh, Easter. It's, I love it. Um, and this year we've got a new tradition, uh, courtesy of our friend Jenny Bates, who's here with us. She came up with the Easter egg open logo. Isn't that awesome? I, I had to put the open logo next to it so that we could really uh, see. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Jenny. That, so do that at home in your Easter egg hunts today. Um, tradition gives us this common language and this common metaphor to live with. But growing up, uh, I didn't grow up in a really traditional environment, really high churchy kind of space. And so it put me at a disadvantage when I moved into high church spaces like Easter Sunday. And so when I was younger, I went to this citywide Episcopalian church service where they were very, very big on traditions. It was beautiful. It was, you know, the robes and the recitations. It was wonderful. And they had this thing that they would say to each other. One person would say, he is risen. And then the next person would say, okay, cool. So you were at the same worship service that I was. Okay, awesome. Um, That's beautiful. The problem is I didn't know that. And so there was this brightly colored, joyful woman who, who turned around to me during the greeting time and says, he is risen. And I just was like, Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, he is. That's right. And it is cool, don't get me wrong, but I didn't know what to say to that thing. You know, sometimes I think when we come to Easter, none of us really know exactly how to respond to this, what to say in response to this incredible story of new life and of resurrection that is just amazing. That when we say he is risen, we are saying that death has been overcome by life. That love faced off against the powers of injustice and hate, and that love wins and life overcomes. That the tables are turned, the veil is torn, and whatever we feel like has separated us or been told has separated us from God has been torn away, and it simply does not. It was overcome by a God who loves this world so much and gave that we might have life. All of those things just rolled away like a stone so that new life could break forth and that all things are being made new by God who created us all. That's what we mean when we say he is risen. And like, what do you even say to that response? Well, nothing. And I think that's that's okay because Easter is God's story for us. It's not a story of of what God did once. Easter is a story of who God is, of what God is doing in love for us, for all of us, for this world that God is restoring. This world where we have Easter morning as a first shaft of light that breaks through the darkness and signifies that the sun is rising, the day is coming in full, and that invites us 
Not to say anything in response, but to live in response. Because resurrection isn't a one-time event. Resurrection is the pattern of how God works in our world, of the old falling away and becoming a new creation, of the seed and the ground and the cycles of seasons, of our lives and our growth as we live and love in that same pattern. Easter isn't about a transaction. It's about transformation of everything. And sometimes we only see that transformation in the long view, in the arc of life, but it is there. Love is at work transforming, and one day we'll see it in full. And the God within it all, holding it all together and moving us forward, wants us to live in that and trust in that and love from that and live in that hope. And that is what we mean when we say that Christ is risen indeed. And it is pretty cool. And so if that's what you want to say back in response to it, you say cool to that. But still, for all of us who don't know quite what to say, to bring us comfort that, uh, that we are not the first folks to not know exactly what to say in response to Easter and how to live in response. Pretty much everyone who shows up in our scripture library was trying to figure that out along the way, um, just like we're trying to figure it out now. We're trying to figure out lots of things. We're trying to figure out how the Easter bunny got involved in this whole story. Where did that come from? Nobody, nobody really knows, actually. But this morning, I want to tell you the story of one particular character, who shows up in several of the stories of Easter, and central to them, not, not because she knew what to do or how to respond, but simply because she showed up in the center of it all, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the chaos and the cruelty and the confusions and the questions and, and the quiet. At the center of it all, she simply showed up, not because she was hoping in anything, but because she showed up in compassion and in care. And when she did, she caught a glimpse of what God is doing, of who God is, and it transformed everything for her and for so many. And so maybe us in this room, who don't know quite what to say, but still showed up on this Sunday, maybe we can relate to her story a little bit. So her name was Mary, um, but that doesn't actually tell us much because there's like 78 Marys in Scripture. Um, Back then, apparently, they didn't have all the fancy baby name books that we have now. They just had like one scroll for the whole village, and it said Mary and John on it. There. It's like suburbia in America in the 1940s. They had that same scroll back then. But this particular Mary, her name was Mary Magdalene, and her story and her name is important. Uh, she first comes on the scene at the early part of Jesus' ministry when Jesus helps liberate her from some serious stuff. And we're not told exactly what that stuff was, but tradition has filled in the gaps with a lot of Mary Magdalene fan fiction that they've written over the years. <laughs> But suffice it to say, in Jesus, Mary found someone who saw her, who learned her name, saw beyond the outside story to her true story, her sacred worth. In Jesus, Mary found someone who brought her, who saw her value and her purpose, brought her liberation and empowerment like nothing else. Mary Magdalene's name goes on then to be mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, which is up there with Peter and James and John, which was no small thing in a society where men were the ones who told the stories so often. And the prominence of her name was just a reflection that Jesus saw who she truly was and loved her and valued her and listened to her and empowered her and gave her life and saw her just as God sees you. The context of that, of, of what Mary found in Jesus, helps us understand for her what the tragedy was of what happened next. As she, who loved this man, Jesus, saw him arrested and tried, 
executed by religion and empire in this brutal public way, and it seemed that everything that Mary had found just came crashing down in, in a moment. Everything that she had, everything that she had loved, everything that she leaned on, everything she hoped for was gone. And even more, to be a woman in that time, facing that loss, with all that you'd been liberated from looming behind you like a tidal wave, it must have been overwhelming on the Friday and the Saturday. And when, when we find ourselves standing at that part of the story arc, the place where Mary was on that day, maybe you've been there. That's what sometimes Easter looks like in the moment, like real loss, real grief, real despair. It's not just what it looks like. It is what it is. Easter, the beauty of it is not that it pretends like loss is not a thing. The beauty of Easter is that Easter says that the worst thing is not the last thing, that this is a part of our story, but it's not the end of our story, not the end of our hope, that God still moves. And sometimes we don't understand what that looks like or how it could possibly come from, but still God invites us to show up. It says that especially in the midst of those struggles that God is with us, at work in us and through us and around us and before us and for us, for healing and for hope, for redemption and reconciliation, with compassion and with tenderness, making all things new, just, not just on one Easter day, but on every Easter day, because that's who God is. God is a God of new life among real life. And so it was right there in the midst of everything, in the midst of real human life, that Mary did something remarkably heroic or, or heroinic in this. She showed up. Right? In the face of that difficulty and despair, she woke up in the morning and she went to the tomb to place flowers to care for the body to honor her friend that she loved. The Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber calls Mary Magdalene the patron saint of just showing up. <laughs> so all you college kids out there with eight o'clock classes, this is your patron saint of just showing up, right? Uh, Nadia Voltz-Weber also has a tattoo of Mary Magdalene on her arm. It's right there, if you can see where I'm pointing, um, which is awesome because she knows that there is a power, transformative power and courage and heroinism and deep faith in showing up, showing up in this world as people of a God of ever-present grace, showing up for each other, not to expect anything or to speak anything, but just to show up, to listen, to bear witness, to be with each other just as God is with us. And it's so often in that where seeds of new life and new hope are planted. When a friend is experiencing a tough time and we show up, especially bearing flowers or bearing food, when a neighbor in our world is experiencing injustice or brokenness and we show up in solidarity to stand with them, or when we are experiencing a tough time in our own lives, when we're ready, when we put one foot in front of the other and show up ourselves, get up, look up, whatever it takes, when we don't let the worst thing be the last thing, so often that's when the new seeds of life show up too. These are acts of deep faith and deep love, and they are powerful. So Mary wasn't expecting any of that, of course. She didn't know that if she just showed up that someday there'd be a pastor with a tattoo of her on her arm. You don't think those things when you're showing up sometimes. But she did think, I think, that, that what 
she and Jesus had experienced was good, and that what is good is lasting, and so she went to honor that, but what she found was so much more. In the story, we're not told exactly how it happened or exactly what happened, but the narrative says that when Mary got there, she found that the large stone had been rolled away and removed from the tomb and that the tomb was empty. Early on the first day, when it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And when she experienced that, she experienced a moment, truthfully, of confusion and fear. She thought that someone had taken the body. She wasn't even dreaming of anything beyond that. And so often in our lives, when when new life begins to emerge and push its way through the hard shells of life, we don't even see it, that it's hidden beneath the surface, but still life is moving. Resurrection is happening, even if we can't always see it in this world. And so she ran to tell the others, um, ran to tell the, the guys who were sleeping in, of course. It was Sunday morning, that's what you do, I hear, on Sunday morning. They come to investigate, but Mary didn't go with them. Instead, she stood, it says in verse 11, she stood weeping outside the tomb. First Friday, and now this, she could not imagine that life could be more than the struggle she's experiencing right now. But Easter says that even when the struggle is all we can see, there is grace, especially in those places of struggle and tears, that God is with us in every step. And so Mary hears a person, and she turns around, and in her, in her tears, she sees a figure that she assumes is the gardener. Supposing him to be the gardener, it says, she said to him, sir, you've carried him away. Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. This gardener was Jesus. And I guess that's what Jesus gets for wearing a big floppy hat as he's moving <laughs> through the space. Okay, time out. Thank you for laughing at that, by the way. Um, <clears throat> So, so I thought of that floppy hair, that floppy hat joke. I was like, I'm going to put that in there. And then this other thought came to mind of like, I should type that into Google and just see what comes out. Um, apparently, there's this whole genre of religious art uh, that looks like, like this. Um, <laughs> seriously, depicting Jesus as a literal gardener with a floppy hat and a shovel just out there like tending the kale, you know, like you do. <laughs> Oh, like humans are, we're, we're crazy folks, truthfully. <laughs> like, if this is your genre, another thing you need to know, like, look at this picture. Um, look at that. Uh, Jesus was an Afro-Semitic Palestinian gardener in this particular story. Give the dude some melatonin, all right? <laughs> Seriously. As the Apostle Peter would say, oy vey, <laughs> is what you say. All right, let's pull that down. That feels very sacrilegious to me for some reason. All right, so back to the story. Um, There's Mary in the midst of this, and and though she sees something, she doesn't see it all, Um, not realizing that the story for her is not over, it is just beginning, and that the story is never over with a God who is making all things new. And so there, in the fog of the garden, in the questions of that morning, there is something that breaks through for Mary, that cuts through the separation and the struggle and brings Mary back and moves her to keep going and opens her eyes. And it is the same thing for her that transforms us on our journey of this life. She hears Jesus call her by her name. With great love by her name, he says, Mary. And she can't believe it, right? She'd recognize his voice anywhere, of course, but she can't believe it. 
This Jesus who knows her, who knows her name and the depth of her spirit and the truth of who she is, calls her by her name, Mary, beloved child of God, in the way that she's, he's said it so many times, in this way that goes deep into the heart of who we are, he sees her, and in that moment when she realizes, I think she is resurrected too. Because that's the same for all of us, isn't it? Amidst the fog of our journey and the questions and the struggle and the wrestling and the wandering, the searching and the seeking, as we seek out who we are in our true name, there is a God who knows you and loves you, who is with you and for you, who calls you by your name with great love. Beloved child of God, by your name. And when we hear that cutting through the fog and the questions, it's like new life breaks forth. And Mary hears it and she knows even with the floppy gardener hat, she knows. And she falls to his feet and she says, Rabbi, she says, Rabbi, my teacher. There's a moment in every dark night of the soul, in every journey of struggle or grief, when amidst the stories that seem finished, when we wonder whether God sees us and knows us and moves still in our world, amidst even that, there are moments when you hear your name. Maybe first through a friend who just shows up and is that ambassador for you. Or maybe as a whisper that's deep in our souls, we hear our name and we open our eyes and we realize that the story is not over, that the worst thing is not the last thing, and that we have a God who knows us and is making all things new in love, and that all things means all things, and that means us too. And so after a few moments there, Jesus says something that's like, so Jesus, it's strange and odd. (laughs) He says, you have to let go of me. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what Jesus meant or how long Mary had been holding on to Jesus. (laughs) But as you know this, I know this, every step of my journey, as I have grown and searched and seeked from childlike faith to adolescence to adult, as I have begun to understand the identity of who I am, I've had to let go at times of the understanding of God, of Jesus that I had before so that I could understand and embrace something bigger. To see past that personal gardener, Jesus, to see resurrection that breaks forth for all creation. On my journey, as I've grown, I've I've had to let some things go in part so that I can find and know in new ways. I can know God in new ways, in bigger ways, in more resilient ways. Let go of my small vision of things so that I can see something new. And it's not easy. There's a deep vulnerability in letting go. But so often when we do, we find just what Mary did, that we are held by something even greater who knows our name. And so reluctantly, I think, she let go. But as she rose, she found that God had something new in store for her, a vision of who she truly was that was greater than she imagined. And it began with this call and this mission for her. Jesus said, I want you to show up. I want you to keep showing up. But I want you to do it with a new message. He says, go and tell the disciples. Go tell the sleeping in dudes what you've seen which may seem like a normal thing to say, but it was not. In the culture of the day, women did not get to be the ones who told the story. 
Before all of this, among the disciples, Mary was there. She was listening and learning, but it was Peter who was always talking in those spaces, just peter splaining things to everybody who was around. <laughs> Women didn't get to splain things. Women didn't get to testify in court. They couldn't be eyewitnesses. They didn't get to tell the story, but Jesus wasn't preserving the status quo. He wasn't resuscitating. He was resurrecting and making all things new. And Mary was a part of that. And so he said, let go of what you once knew. See the God of new life and go tell the others. And so she did. And so Mary became the first one to witness to the good news of God, the apostle to the apostles, she's called. The first Easter preacher, which is another reason why Nadia Boltz Weber has Mary tattooed on her arm. Mary thought she had lost the one, the thing that empowered her bond. Easter, she found something so much more empowering than she could imagine, a vision of her God and her God's love for her and for all people more than she could imagine. She found an invitation to be a part of that story and of that life. So Mary was sent out to be a part of making all things new, to be a part of following the path of love, of laying down, planting seeds of the Easter story and letting others know that there is a God of love who knows your name too. I said that Mary's name was important. Um, It was because she was important, of course. But back in those days, names meant something. Um, And Mary's name is interesting. She's not called Mary, daughter of something, or Mary, wife of something. As far as we know, there wasn't a city called Magdala either. But the community that ran with Jesus sometimes got names of affection, like nicknames too. Uh, Peter was called the Rock. Simon was called the Zealot. Thomas was called the Doubter. So at least we know that we're represented in Jesus' crew (laughs) too. And so it seems, I think, like Mary got her own name. Magdala means tower in Aramaic, tower, which is beautiful for a woman who found herself at the feet to be called tower. Towers were the symbols of the city. They were the things that you could see from a distance. In their height, they were the place that the city brushed against the heavens. They were towers. But from a tower, you can also see far and wide with great perspective. You can see the shape of the land, and I think Mary saw the shape. I think Mary had that perspective. When she opened her eyes to see clearly that resurrection morning, as she and others began to open their eyes, they saw resurrection all around them. Because resurrection is not a one-time event. It is the pattern of God moving in our world. It is who our God is. As my friend Jenny said, the empty tomb is not a tunnel that we pass through to the other side. It is the life of God unleashed on our world with all its creative, life-giving, all-beloving, new-making energy. And from the perspective of the tower, they could see that life breaking forth everywhere. They saw resurrection in Jesus and the life that he lived and the path that he walked and the lives that he touched and the seeds that he planted that were growing abundant. They saw it in the veil torn in two, in the temple tables overturned. They saw something new, a God for all people in love and grace and affirmation bursting into life. They saw it in the sweep of history, and they saw it in their own lives as they walked in the path of Jesus, and they grew in love and joy and peace 
and patience and kindness as they were transformed. And even Peter stopped Peter explaining everything all the time and listened. <laughs> From the tower, they could almost see that this resurrection life does not end because it cannot end because we have a God who is making all things new. And when we hear our name and we open our eyes, we can see resurrection all around us as well. Not that there's not struggle, the struggle is the story. But that in every seed of love and peace and justice and love for God and neighbor, growing in new, creative, courageous, compassionate ways, we see it. We see it in our own transformation and the witness that even amidst those struggles that the things of this life are not the last things, that this story is going somewhere and our God is making all things new and we are invited. We see it in those who've given themselves in love to follow that Easter path. The saints like Francis and Claire or Dorothy Day or Sojourner Truth or Dr. Martin Luther King or Rachel Hald Evans and all of those who've given of themselves, who've loved and lived that this world might be made new. And then we see it in the lives of those in our own lives whose love and legacy lives on in us. And we glimpse that it does not end because it cannot end because our God is a God who's making all things new. And we're included and we're invited to be a part. So towers in the ancient world were also the places that the message went out from, just like it did for Mary Magdalene. And I think we're invited to let our lives send out that message too to live out that message in our world, to plant the seeds in love and hope and peace with justice, in courage and compassion and creativity and communion and community, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our world, that we would be people of this Easter message, of the God who is new-making, all-welcoming, grace-giving, seeker-seeking, suffering, healing, justice-restoring, death-defeating, life-unleashing, love-unending, meeting us in the garden when we need it most and calling us by our name, God, who is making all things new. That's our Easter story. So may we be people of that God and live the powerful story of Easter as people who show up just like our patron saint did in the life of a God who is making all things new. And that, my friends, is cool. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving God, whose love knows no bounds, whose love has overcome and is overcoming. God, so often when we stand at the beginning of this story arc, we cannot see resurrection, but you call us to show up as people of hope, as people of love and of light in our world, and so help us do that. In places like today, when we see the incredible suffering in Sri Lanka, and the way that it seems that the wrong of this world seems off so strong, God, we trusts in what we cannot see. God, that your love, your peace, your life, your hope, your goodness has overcome and is overcoming. And God, that's where we want 
to be. To raise our tower. God, to see with your vision, to live out your message of good news for all people. As we say to our neighbors, our siblings, as we say to this world in word and especially in deed, that you are loved, that your name is known. God, that God is a God of life that is breaking forth. God, thank you for that. May we see it in full. May we love in full. We pray this in your name.